I remember getting the call telling me that they were going to furlough me. I literally begged my boss. I was like, please don't furlough me. I was like, I can't do this. The first stimulus check was good. The 600, honestly, that felt like a joke to me. It was sort of a let them eat cake kind of moment. It's not helpful in the long run. I had to get on unemployment. I had to start receiving food stamps. You know, I, I need help. I have three kids and it's like, I can't work. I'm not working. I'm used to working. It's been very, very hard. <sighs> very hard. The voices of Americans who have had to face an unimaginable new reality. Financial survival in this new pandemic economy. Hello, everyone. I'm CNN political director David Chalian. Welcome to Politically Sound. As many across the country approach the anniversary of the first pandemic lockdowns, many questions remain unanswered. Are vaccines bringing a light at the end of the tunnel? How soon will everything go back to normal? How long will it take the economy to recover? The economy is just really messed up right now, and I don't really think a lot of people care, a lot of politicians care. Here we is, one year into the pandemic, still on unemployment, still struggling to make ends meet. And while President Biden can't answer those questions, he recognizes that the rest of his presidency hinges on this first major hurdle, getting the coronavirus under control as quickly as possible and getting America back to work. If we act now decisively, quickly and boldly, we can finally get ahead of this virus. We can finally get our economy moving again. President Biden's plan to do that, his first big legislative push, is a $1.9 trillion relief package that is on the precipice of approval in the Congress. So with me today as part of our series on Joe Biden's first 100 days is liberal economist Paul Krugman, also a New York Times opinion columnist who writes on the economy. Today, he's going to help us get a better understanding of the impacts of this relief plan and the challenges impacting the return to a normal economy. So it's time to tune out the noise and tune in to what's politically sound. In addition to writing for The New York Times, Paul Krugman is also a distinguished professor of economics at the Graduate Center of the City University of New York and the recipient of the Nobel Prize of Economics in 2008. He's the author of the new book, Arguing with Zombies, Economics, Politics, and the Fight for a Better Future. I asked him first about just how bad off the economy is right now. Oh, yeah, we're still further down in terms of employment relative to where you know we were before the crisis hit than at any point during the last crisis. And the last crisis was, in turn, the worst crisis that we'd had since the Great Depression. So this is still a terrible economic situation. It's a little bit peculiar because the victims have been disproportionately relatively low-paid workers so that GDP, although still pretty bad, doesn't look as bad as employment does. But this is still, this is an extremely ugly economic situation. And it's an ugly situation that isn't affecting everyone equally. According to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, the rate of Black-owned small businesses that closed at the start of the pandemic is twice that of the national average. And according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, all 140,000 jobs lost in the final month of 2020 were held by women. One woman we spoke with, Melissa, worked in the hotel and hospitality industry for over 20 years. At the start of the pandemic, she suddenly found herself out of a job. I was scared. I've never been in a situation like that before, even through 9-11 and even through the fall in 2008. It never was that type of worry and scared of the unknown. And Mr. Krugman explained why those economic disparities are so pronounced. 
The reason the disparities are so severe is that the kinds of things that we can't do, we can't do safely, those tend to be jobs that are held, first of all, by low-wage workers, and secondly, by women and minorities. Ordinarily, the U.S. system of unemployment benefits is pathetic. It's both extremely limited in coverage and extremely stingy for people without jobs. Now, what we did on and off, and you know, it's been an erratic policy, but we've extended coverage to a lot of people who would ordinarily not have been getting checks from unemployment. And we've also made the checks considerably more generous so that a lot of people were doing pretty well. And that the new bill, the Biden American Rescue Plan or whatever it ends up being called when it comes out of Congress, is pretty much along the same lines. Lots of benefits for the unemployed, some sort of broad-based checks of which at least some will go to people in need, a lot of very specific aid on things like rent. Biden's American Rescue Plan is the massive relief package that's already passed the House and is expected to pass the Senate this week. It provides for $400 in weekly unemployment checks for qualifying people all the way through to the end of August, $15 billion in low-interest loans for small businesses, $350 billion in funding for state and local governments, and a whole lot more. Mr. Krugman says he supports this bill precisely because of the kind of economic calamity the country is facing. But it's not a conventional recession. It's not ugly because people aren't willing to spend. It's not ugly because we're crippled by debt. It's ugly because there's a lot of things we would normally be doing that are not safe to do until we have this pandemic under control. So it's kind of like a natural disaster almost. Mr. Krugman thinks that's a key point many people are missing right now in the debate over the bill. We shouldn't be thinking about the proposal as a stimulus, but rather, he says, as disaster relief. We have a lot of stuff that is being suppressed for public health reasons. The reason the restaurants aren't full of people is not because people can't afford to go to restaurants. It's because they shouldn't be going to restaurants. And we don't want a bill that's going to make people go to restaurants before it's safe. We want a bill that makes it tolerable. We want a a bill that makes it possible for restaurant employees to continue to put food on the table and continue to pay their rent until the restaurants can reopen. We want something that will allow the restaurant owners to keep their businesses in existence until normal life can resume. That's mostly what we're doing here. The goal of everything right now is to make it possible to get through this period with the minimum amount of human hardship and the minimum amount of long-term damage to the economy. This is really all disaster relief. And for Mr. Krugman, the way to limit the economic pain people face during this health crisis is do whatever it takes to get the money to the people who need it. The most important piece of the whole legislation, from my point of view, is the direct pandemic-related stuff. Shots in arms, making schools safe to reopen. And there's, that's a large chunk of the money that we're spending. The second most important thing after that is unemployment benefits. And that's an extra 400 a week for unemployed people. So for people who are going to be unemployed for a number of months still, and have to be, that's what really matters. And acting soon is key for Congress as those unemployment benefits are facing a deadline. Democrats are scrambling to get a final version to the president by March 14th. But sometimes focused benefits like unemployment may not reach everyone who is struggling. That's what happened to Melissa and her husband who didn't receive enough help despite being out of work. Well, you got to remember, too, with the stimulus, if you were a manager or hire and you worked in, in any major city, you you maxed out with your unemployment. So a lot of us who got laid off never, ever got a stimulus check. I didn't get a stimulus check. My husband didn't get a stimulus check. 
Mr. Krugman explains why more help is needed. The $1,400 checks are scattershot. You're spreading a lot of money, much of which will go to people who are not in dire need. And you ask, well, why would we do that? And the answer is more targeted stuff. It's not that easy to get to everybody who needs it. It's not actually that easy to find you know, unemployment insurance doesn't hit everybody. There are people who have income losses who won't qualify as unemployed. The whole structure for distributing unemployment benefits is extremely creaky and we don't have time to fix it right now. So you're throwing a lot of money out there, a good part of which will go to people who really need it, a good part of which will go to people who don't really need it or don't need it urgently. But that's an acceptable price to pay because we're not actually short of money. So you've just acknowledged in what you're describing, and you're an advocate of this bill, that there's a chunk of this money not targeted that's going to get in the hands of the people that don't really need it, and you called that an acceptable price to pay. You said especially because there's not a lack of money right now, but this is all adding to the deficit and the debt. What does that mean that there's not a lack of money right now? We're spending our children and grandchildren's future for this, right? Public debt is not spending our children's future. You know, remember, every time you create a debt, you also create an asset. So what it's doing is it's creating an obligation for taxpayers to pay some future money to investors who end up buying U.S. government debt. I say, you know, debt is money we owe to ourselves, which is one of those things that is both self-evidently true and drives people into insane rage when you say it. And the thing is that it's not actually a lot of money, even though the numbers look huge. You know, you say, oh, it's worth spending $1.9 trillion and, uh, you know, that can't help think of Dr. Evil, $1.9 trillion. But think about the fact that right now, as we speak, the U.S. government can borrow long-term at an interest rate of around 1.4%. That's below the rate of inflation. In real terms, debt doesn't actually cost us anything. So in a world of very, very cheap money, these huge debt numbers just aren't telling you anything. The debt is really just not a significant burden on the U.S. federal government, and it's certainly not a significant burden on our children and grandchildren. Still... That increase of the debt is a major criticism from Republicans. Well, we're here to talk about uh, one of the parts of this $1.9 trillion uh, so-called coronavirus relief bill. Why are you giving all this money to states when we have $27 trillion for the debt already? It will not serve Americans to pile another huge mountain of debt on our grandkids for policies that even liberal economists say are poorly targeted Now, that certainly sounds hypocritical to many, coming from those who ran up the debt during the Trump years so high it's not even funny. But when we come back, we'll discuss the other points of contention around this bill that conservatives and even some Democrats have. Stay with us. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support, your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. 
And now save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back. As I said, it's not just Republicans who are critical of this proposal. Some, like former Democratic Treasury Secretary Larry Summers, think that this could be going too big. I do think that the concern about inflation, about overheating the economy, and the concern about crowding out public investment need to figure prominently uh, in the debates. But Mr. Krugman says although those are valid concerns, he disagrees. He's worried that we're throwing out so much money that it will be inflationary. And he's worried that by overdoing it now, we will undermine our ability to do the large additional spending that he and I both believe we should be doing on things like infrastructure. My argument against Larry is that I believe that if you actually look at where this money is going and how it is likely to be spent, it's not going to be all that inflationary, that we have a enough slack in the economy. And where I think Larry and others are really, really wrong, they're making a category error. They're thinking that the constraint on the future things that we need to do, like spend on infrastructure, spend on fighting climate change, is, well, if we use up a bunch of money now, that money won't be available later. But the actual constraint on that future spending is not financial, it's political. It is, can we get Congress to approve the kinds of spending that we need to do in the future? And that is going to be easier to do, more likely to do, if we can point to a successful economic relief program. The Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget says that there's still a trillion dollars in aid that have been allocated in the previously passed bills related to COVID relief that haven't been spent yet. Should that be an area of concern as to if that money hasn't been spent yet and now another two trillion is coming behind it, should that give people pause about the overall price tag? No, that's a really problematic argument on a couple of levels. One is that, look, the last bill was late last year, and you don't expect the money to be spent right away, just as you don't expect the money from this coming bill to be spent right away. So the last bill was supposed to get us some ways into 2021, and this bill is supposed to get us through the rest of 2021. So that that's a bad comparison. Again, we're not short on money, so this is not a concern. The important things are that we're going to continue to supply aid to people who really do need it, And it's true, the people we spoke with who are struggling need money now. And the politics of how much they get and what hasn't been spent yet feels very removed from their reality. Andrew Appold, who's been out of work since April, thinks the aid has been too little and too infrequent. They're sitting in their offices, in rooms, making decisions, but they still have a paycheck. A lot of Americans don't have a paycheck right now. It's having to choose between not having your car repossessed or eating dinner or paying rent or paying your internet bill. Americans are honestly having to make choices like that. But one measure that would increase the amount of money in the pockets of the lowest wage workers in this country, raising the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour, won't be in the bill after a ruling from the Senate parliamentarian. And while Mr. Krugman supports raising the minimum wage, he says there may be a benefit to keeping it out of this package. It's not a disaster if it's not in this bill. And the politics might be a little bit interesting. Minimum wage increases are actually extremely popular. As everybody likes to point out, Florida voted for Trump 
but it also had a referendum on raising the minimum wage to $15, which got 61% of the votes. So if I were Democrats, I would say, look, there's a bit of a silver lining here. We can hold a standalone vote on raising the minimum wage. You know, and because Democrats do control the Senate by you know that much, they can force it to a vote and force Republican senators to go on record against supporting a minimum wage increase that an overwhelming majority of the American public wants. We spoke with Tanisha Swinson for this episode, and she agrees with Mr. Krugman. The minimum wage should be raised. Everyone is struggling. Everyone is trying to make ends meet. And if they have a family, you know, minimum wage is not making ends meet. Just one job. You have to go get two jobs. You know, it's hard and it's it's difficult. But not everyone supports an increase in the minimum wage. Many small business owners say that it will drive up prices and force them to lay off workers. This is what one small business owner asked Joe Biden at a CNN town hall last month. You're proposing a $15 minimum wage. Given the lower cost of living specifically in the Midwest, many business owners are concerned that this will put them out of business, forcing them to downsize or cut benefits. How can you instill confidence in small businesses? But Mr. Krugman notes that most economists support raising the minimum wage. Remarkably, the sophisticated economics literature, the research, has become far more pro-minimum wage than it ever was in the past. So basically, the, you know, the economists and the general public think that raising the minimum wage is a really good idea. And then Republicans in Congress don't. Well, call them on that. Force them to say, we disagree with the economists, we disagree with the voters, and make them pay some price for that. It is important for public policy to be popular with the American people. That's actually an important component. This relief bill clearly is, and it has a vast majority of public support, meaning not just Democrats and independents, Republicans too, and yet it's facing a wall of opposition from Republicans in Congress. They may all vote in opposition and not pay a political price for it. What will that mean for policy going forward during the Biden years, do you think? No one really knows, but I think the point is, if what Obama tried to do was he tried to be bipartisan, in a way that was conventional, that is winning over some Republican legislators to support him and never got it, faced complete scorched earth opposition and then got blamed in effect for the failure to deliver results. What the new administration is trying to do is saying, you know, bipartisan, well, we don't really care anyway, but, but as long as we've got support of lots of people, actual voters, including a lot of self-identified Republicans, we're going to call it bipartisan. And if that's how it works, if Republicans vote against it, well, so what? And we're, we're going to hope that people actually see good stuff happening and that we get credit for it. It is scary that we have a situation in which one party is opposed to anything the other party proposes, no matter how popular, just because it's the other party. And really, you know, they're, they're not opposing the COVID relief bill because they fear it will fail. They're opposing the COVID relief bill because they fear it will succeed. That's not a very healthy situation, but all right, that's where we are as a country. That brings me to my final question for you. We're about a year into this pandemic now, and there is finally some light at the end of the tunnel in terms of the virus. We have three vaccines. More and more people are getting vaccinated every day now. What does this say to you about how much longer the economic downturn caused by the virus will continue now that we actually see perhaps the battle against the virus and perhaps the very beginning of that beginning to recede? 
Okay, I find myself very uncharacteristically, uh, given my own personality, pretty optimistic about the fairly near-term economic future. Obviously, we're not done with the virus yet, and it would be catastrophic if we get careless. We allow this thing to explode again and the variants get ahead of the vaccines. But assuming we don't do that, this is not like the last economic crisis we had, which left a whole overhang of problems of excess debt and bad mortgages and uh, and just a, an economy that really needed many years of life support to get back to something like normality. This time, it looks as if we're well poised to come springing back pretty fast. So my guess is that a year from now, we'll be looking at a, an economy that came roaring back, a sort of morning in America. Then the real problems will come back because we were not actually in great shape even before the pandemic. But the recovery from this thing looks like it should be pretty fast. Paul Krugman, thanks so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Okay, take care then. That's it for this week's episode of Politically Sound. Thanks for listening. If you could please take a few minutes and give us a rating and a review. And if you're listening for the first time, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you can get our latest episode each week delivered right to you. Politically Sound is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Will Cadigan and Mimi Mutesa. Haley Thomas is our senior producer. Raj Makija is the senior production manager. And Francisco Monroy is our engineer. David Toledo is the team's production assistant. The executive producer of CNN Audio is Megan Marcus. We'll see you next week. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.